0: This is the What Now Podcast.
1: And when you are not married in a priesthood lesson talking about families, it almost feels as if it doesn't apply to you. And it's easy to kind of think, well, why am I even here? And that's probably the wrong type of a thing. It's awkward. You come to church. You think everybody's talking about you. The truth is they probably aren't, but you think they are. And you walk in, you don't really know where to sit. You've spent all of this time as a family. You come in and you sit with your family and now you are there by yourself with all the same people not sitting together. And so, you know, that's one thing that was really hard. You know, you think that people are judging you. You don't know where to sit. You're not sure how you interface anymore with people. And the truth is, most members don't reach out to you. You think that they would, but Nobody knows what to say, so they don't say anything, and that's tough.
0: This is the What Now podcast where we discuss cultural topics related to The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a respectful and honest way in an effort to uplift, inspire, and create positive change. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with two inspiring men who will be sharing their different perspectives about their journey with divorce. My first interview is with Alan Evans, a respected bishop who faced the reality of divorce and how his perspective changed as he became a single member of his congregation. Alan shares powerful insights from his experience and advice for members on how they can be more inclusive of those who face the challenge of being single in a family-centered church. Following Alan Evans will be Bo Walker, a 27-year-old young adult who faced divorce when he was just 26 years old. Bo shares meaningful insights about his journey, as well as strategies for how to move forward towards a healthy relationship and renewed hope. Several years ago, Alan was a bishop in Florida over a congregation where he was given the opportunity to counsel with divorced and never married singles in the church. He never imagined that he would be faced with divorce himself and become a single member of his congregation. Like to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We appreciate it. So let's dive right in. What is it like to be an ecclesiastical leader and having a large number of singles in your ward?
1: Well, as you know, most of our bishops and stake presidents um, have never been single, right? Or never been divorced, that's for sure. And so I think there's maybe a little bit of a disconnect there. And I was certainly in that situation our stake or our stake president had said that our stake had 50% of its membership was single. And he'd asked us to focus on single adults. And so
0: 50% of your membership
1: was single. 50% of our stake was single. You're, wow. And, you know, so I kind of looked at my board and it was true. I didn't, I'd never thought about it before, but all of a sudden, when you look at it, it was actually true. Either They were young, single adults, or they were, single adults that were older, either never married or widowed, divorced or um, some, something. So, you know, I thought I was being really great and zealous and made sure we had really good single adult leaders and those types of things. And I thought, wow, we are, you know, just knocking it out of the park here in our ward as it goes to singles.
0: Okay, so what was the reality of being a single member in your congregation?
1: well (laughs) you know so here i am uh, thinking that i had done a good job reaching out to my single um single members in the ward and then all of a sudden i find myself single and i realize that i probably was a really bad bishop to those single um adults because i didn't do anything um that different and once you become a single member of the church all of a sudden you realize that every lesson every talk, everything revolves around families. We're a family-centered church, and and everything references back to the family. And when you're sitting there without your family, and when you um, are, are not married in a priesthood lesson talking about families, it almost feels as if it doesn't apply to you. And it's easy to kind of think, well, why am I even here? And that's probably the wrong type of a thing you know you've it's awkward you come to church you think everybody's talking about you the truth is they probably aren't but you think they are and you walk in you don't really know where to sit you've spent all of this time as a family you come in and you sit with your family and now you are there by yourself with all the same people but not sitting together and so You know that's one thing that was really hard you know you think that people are judging you you don't know where to sit you're not sure how you interface anymore with people and the truth is most members don't reach out to you you think that they would but nobody knows what to say it's so they don't say anything and that's tough
0: yeah that would be tough that would be tough because it seems like it's less judgment and more they just don't know how to react to the situation especially if they're friends with mm-hmm. you and the wife
1: absolutely mm-hmm. and so you know it's easy on this side to say that but when you're going through it it certainly thinks or you certainly your brain kind of tells you that it's judgment
0: mm-hmm. so so there might be a little difference there what we might interpret as judgment might just be an awkwardness on their part and not knowing how to react to the situation.
1: Absolutely. Mm. The problem that comes there, though, is that when our member friends are not reaching out to us, your non-member friends are. Because to them, they didn't necessarily always know both of you or, or they're just more experienced or they're more open, but they actually reach out. And so, you know, the people who you would hope reach out aren't, and the people who are reaching out are the ones who... Are not part of your ward family, which is really a shocking. For me, it was a very shocking experience. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. So, what did you do to integrate yourself in your ward community?
1: It, it took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> so, <laughs> it wasn't um, uh, it wasn't a really an easy process at first. And um, I'll tell you, I think probably what happened for me is because I had kids, it really forced me to reach out. And so, you know, if there was a holiday or if there was an activity or something that was going on, I needed to actually reach out and invite myself and my family or plan the activity to be at my house. And it was amazing. When you start doing that, then all of a sudden people start reciprocating again. But it's crossing over that first, you know, crossing that threshold at the beginning, I think it's difficult and
0: and that might be an icebreaker for the people who want to know how to interact they want to know how to help and then you instigate it allows them an opportunity to step in and help
1: absolutely and
0: or connect or be a friend
1: or or to just break that ice and then you're able to have a conversation and i think when you're on one side of it as a as the single person you think that People are you know, judging you, and yet they probably are just not sure what to say or do because they don't necessarily ask what's happened or what's going on once you actually invite them to do something.
0: Right. You just have normal conversation. Exactly. Like you would normally.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Great. That's a good point to make.
1: One more thing, I, or another thing I would suggest is if you don't have a minister, get a minister. I think in a lot of wards, there may not be enough good ministers to go around to all of the population in the ward. And so I think as a bishop, people they'll focus on the single sisters to make sure that they've got access to the priesthood. However, as a single man, you need a minister also. And so if you don't have one, reach out and ask. And that made a huge difference for me because it was just one more connection back into the ward family that I had through, at the time it was home teaching, but through the home teachers that really helped.
0: Did you feel like you had a support network at church? We have the Relief Society, and that seems very huggy and touchy-feely and supportive. Did you feel that from Elders Quorum?
1: Well, I will tell you that I don't think that the brothers are very good at reaching out. The sisters are really good at it, (laughs) and the primary's great at it, and I think young women's The young women are great at it, but I don't think that the brothers are so good. And it's just the nature of of the way it is. So I think for men, we really have to reach out and make it a point. The alternative is, you're gonna find yourself extremely lonely and probably going down the path of becoming less active because your non-member friends will be there asking you to do things. And if you're not actively making sure that you're integrating with your ward family, your non-member friends will make sure you are integrated.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. So how can members reach out to those who have been recently divorced or single to help them remain active?
1: Well, I would say remember that these are people who have spent years in a family environment and now that's come apart and they are lonely. So I would say invite, invite, invite. These people, they need to be invited. If you're having, you know, somebody over, invite them. If you're having Sunday dinner, invite them. If you're there's a ward social, just invite them to go with your family. Because otherwise, it's not very fun to show up by yourself. And so I would say, just you know, invite. Everything we do in the church is family, family, family. And when you're single, you're very aware that your family doesn't look the way we expect families to look in the church
0: and it's interesting because you're mentioning family a lot and we hear the term ward family all the time so right when these kids are you know getting you know married later and when divorced husbands and wives are in this congregational setting and they were in there married and now they're divorced and now they don't know where they're supposed to go and they feel displaced from their families, that's when the ward family integrates them into the ward family, so to speak.
1: Absolutely, Mm -hmm. and if that doesn't happen, then I think those single members are really at risk of falling away from the church. So I think as a ward family, we really have a responsibility to reach out to those people. And that can be led by their ministers, it can be led by the bishop, it can be led by the elders corn president or the Relief Society president, but somebody has to take that action to make sure that these single brothers and sisters are being reached out to. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I would say is, we all believe in the atonement. We all believe that the atonement is real. And we have to be, be careful that we're not, actually passing judgment on people who are going through a divorce is already hard enough on them. The last thing they need is somebody else that's outside the situation, trying to decide if one spouse or the other spouse is right. And the atonement's real. It doesn't matter who's right. The Lord, you know, it works for everyone. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that. And just because they had a marriage that didn't work or any other reason they can be it's not our role to judge mm-hmm. stay neutral stay neutral
2: yes very <laughs> neutral shift to neutral and be friends right i mean right. these were your
1: friends before the divorce right. they should be your friends after the divorce even if it's separate. Mm-hmm. so
0: that's a great point that's a great point well thank you so much we really appreciate you being here today thank you Today I am here with Bo Walker, who is a 27-year-old young adult who weathered the harsh reality of divorce when he was only 26 years old. So Bo will be offering us a different perspective today on what it looks like to be divorced as a young adult and how he navigated that difficult situation, as well as sharing some red flags to watch out for when dating in our church culture. So I'd like to welcome Bo. We're so glad to have you.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So let's just start off by getting to know you a little bit. You know, where are you from? Where'd you go to college? And what are you doing now? Just a quick summary.
2: So I'm from Morgan, Utah, up there in northern Utah. And I went to BYU-Idaho for my undergrad. And right now I'm going to dental school at OHSU.
0: Oh, terrific. In Portland. Yep. Oh, great. Great. So... You went to BYU Idaho. So, what was the dating culture like at BYU Idaho?
2: Well, I feel like it's probably not that much different from BYU, but I think there's just this real pressure to find somebody before somebody else does, you know? Like it's the meat market and you're there to grab somebody quick.
0: <laughs> the good ones are going quickly. Right. So there is a culture of kids getting married fast and young. Would you say that?
2: I would think so. Yeah, especially BYU Idaho. I mean, it doesn't get the nickname for nothing. BYU I do.
0: (laughs) I've actually never heard that. That's (laughs) okay. Yeah. BYU I do. So you saw that. You felt that. You experienced that when you were there.
2: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like that rare for people to get married after knowing each other for three months.
0: Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, when I hear that, I think, gosh, this is the biggest generational decision kids will ever make in their life. And they do it so fast, so fast. So what was, I mean, how did you feel after you got married? And you weren't that young. I mean, so you no. were about 24 when you got married?
2: I think I was, yeah, right around 24, 23.
0: Okay. So that's par for the course in the culture. That's not too young. So how did you feel after you got married and then things were kind of not as they appeared when you were dating?
2: You know, it was surprising, honestly. I felt like I had done my research. I felt like I had done my due diligence. But in the end, it wasn't really what I was expecting. I wasn't with who I was led to believe I was going to be with.
0: You felt like maybe you were a little bit misled. How, like, what did your due diligence look like? How did you?
2: I think it was just trying to see somebody in a bunch of different situations. You know, I'm pretty analytical. So I felt like I had seen her in a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different circumstances. And, you know, it all seemed pretty good to me, you know. It's not like it was perfect, but I didn't see any huge flags.
0: So did you see just a like a subtle transformation when you first got married or was it like an instant transformation?
2: Well, I think what I realized afterwards is that she had been so worried about certain things and kind of hid that while we were dating because, you know, just like anybody, you don't want to show your imperfections to people. and she did that and you know it led to a lot of issues it was only i don't know three four months after we were married and stuff started coming up and i realized that that whole time we were dating she just kind of hid that from me whether she knew it or not she had been hiding that and it was just surprising to see that you know
0: so what was it she was hiding
2: I think that there was issues with anxiety, you know, a little bit of depression, you know, and just coming from a hard background. You know, people have different situations, different upbringings, different backgrounds, but I feel like hers still was kind of haunting her and had never really addressed it the way that it should have been addressed with therapy and whatnot. And so when we got married, she was kind of expecting me to make her happy, you know? She was expecting that once she got married that, like, she would be happy. And so, lo and behold, she's not happy, and it's my fault.
0: So that's tricky because now you become the source of her happiness or unhappiness. Right. Okay, so you kind of become this savior role, like, okay, everything's going to be fine now that she's happy. She thinks she's getting married and that's going to solve her problems.
2: And it's a heavy burden to bear, you know, because you're always feeling like, okay, like, what can I say? What can't I say? Can I address this thing? Is she going to be ticked at me if I bring this up? Uh, Like, she's peeved at me while we're discussing this. So, you know, it doesn't seem like she's going to really try to work it out with me. So I'm going to have to apologize for bringing it up because... You know, I'm in control of how she's feeling, and once I apologize, then okay, things can simmer down, and you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: we can move you on.
0: Always become the source of the problems, right? Mm-hmm. So, how did you kind of navigate that? How did you get to the point where you knew this was a relationship you had to walk away from? What was the catalyst? What was it that pushed you out?
2: It took quite a while, honestly, because I've never been married before, so I don't know, like, other than you know, observing other people's relationships. I don't know what a marriage is supposed to be like. It's different with everybody. So I spent two years just kind of like, hmm, this doesn't doesn't really seem right, you know? Like I'm frankly not happy. Like there was times where it was crappy, and then there was other times where I was just not happy. And it got to the point where We actually got pregnant because I had just figured, well, this is life. This is marriage and had a miscarriage. And that's when things started going downhill. You know, she's blaming me for the miscarriage and, you know, saying that I don't do anything for her when I'm going to school full time. I'm working 20 hours a week, getting ready for dental school, working on applications, you know doing research and trying to juggle all of this that's kind of when i realized like okay like no i'm not perfect like i've got my own issues but i feel like i am trying my best and i'm upfront with you and i you know i'm just i'm trying and to say that like i don't ever do anything for you and you're going to try and blame this on me like that's when i was like okay this isn't a good relationship And that's when I could kind of confirm to myself, like, okay, this is problematic and something needs to happen. This isn't normal to just keep going on like this.
0: Yeah. I mean, did you seek counseling? Did you do couples therapy?
2: We had done some sort of counseling prior to that, but we had like, you know, we felt like we were doing that. And then it got to this point where it was just like... I don't know. I felt like it was too far gone, you know?
0: Yeah. Like she had things that she really had to work on on her own.
2: Right. And, you know, she was going to therapists, but she'd come home and tell me how they talked about me the whole time and how if I would just communicate better, then all of our marital issues would disappear. All of her worries and doubts and fears were all due to me not being able to communicate well enough.
0: And that's tough because it's kind of one-sided. So what were some of your fears about leaving the relationship, given our church culture?
2: I feel like the biggest one is just feeling like, you know, what will people think of me? I'm not concerned as much about what neighbors or friends and family think. It was more of like, okay, I'm now in in some way I'm like damaged property, you know? Like I'm used goods. Who out there is going to want to date me now that I've got this baggage? And I think that was probably my biggest my biggest worry.
0: Yeah, and that is scary, you know, cuz you just think, okay, the damaged goods. I mean, heck, oh, that's just so heartbreaking to hear you say that. But it is probably, you know, a fair assumption that, you know, People want to start off on the right foot without the baggage. But you didn't end up, you ended up remarrying, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I did.
0: And did you marry someone who had been divorced?
2: Yeah. So after being divorced, I was like, okay, I'm not going to date somebody that's been divorced because frankly, like I'm not going to be able to vet out if they are my ex reincarnated, you know? If they come to me and they're like, oh, yeah, my ex is some jerk and he did this and this and this. I knew that that's what my ex was going to say about me. And how do I know if this person, you know, and that's what she really believed. Like that was her reality, that I was just this this person that couldn't sympathize at all, that I had no care for her in the world, which isn't the truth. But going in and dating somebody else, how do I know if that's not the same thing going on there, you know?
0: Yeah, that would be scary. I mean, how did you move past that bad relationship to dating again and trusting a new relationship?
2: I just had to move forward knowing that God loved me and that I wasn't damaged goods, that he still wanted me to be happy and move on and find somebody else that was a better match for me. And, you know, go on to have a happy life. And, you know, it's scary dating again, knowing that the same thing could happen. You could wind up in a similar situation, but you're never going to know until you try. And so you just have to say, okay, God, like, I don't want to end up in that situation again. So please help me. Like, be able to know if this person is truly who they are showing to me. And I was really upfront with her about that. I was like, do not change yourself. Like, don't try to impress me. Don't try to, you know, make things sound better than they are. Give it to me straight. Yeah. If you, real. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got struggles with X, Y, or Z, I don't like, just tell me, you know? And I will do the same for you. I'll tell you my struggles with the X, Y, and Z. And if you don't want it, great, cool. You can go on your way and I'll go on mine and I'll find somebody else that's, you know, down with it. So
0: you were just really transparent. Like, let's be honest. Let's be real. You know, I don't want to do round two here.
2: Right. And I feel like first go around and probably most people feel this way is like, okay, I need to like impress this person. and. I need to kind of weasel my way into their heart, but that just creates problems down the road for both parties. You just got to be upfront with them and talk to them about things and say, this is how I am. You know, maybe you say to them, guess what? I game for 40 hours a week and that's what you can expect from me, you know? Yes.
0: Sayonara! Nara.
2: Don't don't try and make it sound like you only play Xbox with your homies for two hours a week if you're playing for 40.
0: Yeah. And it's things like that that can disrupt a relationship. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have to just kind of keep it real. And I like that you're addressing that because I think a lot of people want to put their best foot forward. They don't want to reveal how they really are until after they seal the deal. But it doesn't mean that marriage is going to stay together. Right. Right. I like that. So, you know, what gave you the strength to leave your marriage and stay active in the church? Because a lot of people, they get divorced and they slip away. Yeah.
2: And I know, I think we all know people that have done that. For me, it was just knowing that, like I kind of already said, that God loved me and he wants us to progress. We're here to progress, we're created to progress. Like, that's all we're going to be doing for the next infinity years, you know, and why should my life stop? Why should it cease? And why shouldn't I be able to have joy if that's in the plan, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: That's true. I mean, now that you're kind of looking in the rearview mirror, you know, what were your new requirements second round? I mean, how did you look at things differently? I mean, you were about transparency. What else were you kind of looking for second round that was a little different than your first marriage?
2: Second time around, something that was really big for me was finding somebody that I connected with as a friend first. Like, you can be sexually attracted to anybody and it's fun, but like, it's harder to just truly enjoy being with someone than it is to be sexually attracted to them. And so I tried to do that second time around with just not being physical. I tried to hold off on that as much as possible because when there's sexual tension, it's easy to overlook things.
0: Yeah. You kind of avoid the red flags a little bit. They're not as glaring if you're, you know, you have that strong sexual attraction, you kind of overlook a lot of that.
2: Right. And as much as you think that you're like really looking for it, there's small things that you'll overlook that you say, oh, you know that was a one time thing that's just a small thing whatever we work work through it get past it we're fine but you have to anticipate that those things aren't just one time things they will be magnified in marriage you know
0: mhm that's true i like that your focus was on building a friendship being less physical maybe trusting your own inspiration a little bit and not ignoring those red flags So what advice would you give to younger adults who are facing serious relationship challenges? You know, they're seeing these little red flags creep up or they're currently going through a divorce. What would you say to them?
2: Honestly, you need to just really take a minute and say, okay, is it worth going through with this if it's going to create years, you know, whether it be 5, 10, 25, or 50, like Is it worth going through with this when I have doubts or things aren't really good when it's going to create a lot of issues? Like for me, I think about, okay, what what would have happened if we didn't have a miscarriage? You know, like we would have had kids and we would have both been stuck in it. We would have both been unhappy with each other and it would have been miserable. You know, I would have had a crazy life because we just kept moving forward through it. So for those that are kind of questioning, that are doubting, or that do have concerns, like, you need to just take a step back and really question what you're doing. And I wish I would have, you know, there was a time before I got married that I had a similar situation where I was like, okay, there's some things going on that I don't think are right. Like she's got these things and I feel like we're not really totally happy with each other right now. But, you know, after talking to some friends, it was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Girls are girls. Like, you know, girls be crazy. (laughs) And, you know, that's terrible advice, but. I wish that I would have just been like, you know what, we need to take a break. Like, I'm not happy right now, and it's because we're together. We've got these things going on. Let me step back and really take a look at this. Which is hard because, you know, like friends told me, like, it's going to be like that with any girl. And you kind of reasoned through those things to yourself. Like, yeah, like, maybe I am going to have this with any girl or any guy or, you know lots of people are going to have their own issues, but these are theirs. And so I'll be patient with them. They'll be patient with me. Let's just go for it.
0: Yeah, I like your idea to take a step back and not be afraid to take a break. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, it's a lot easier to take a break. And you know, a lot of these kids are getting involved physically, sexually, and their advice from bishops is to get married. And that's not always the best solution. Right. Because I mean, what? kind of alluding to what you were just saying is when you get married it's a lot of day to day stuff it's not like you're having sex 24 hours a day i mean that stuff fades a little bit and then you get to real life where you're raising kids you're doing shopping you're doing yard work you're doing chores i mean you know the day to day is not you know you know the perfect easy dating life that's not what it's like you know so and also a concern you know for some people i just know that You know, I had known they just thought kids would solve their problems. You know, like, oh, we'll just have kids and that'll make it better. How how would you speak
2: to that? I think that I faced a similar issue in my marriage in that, you know, she never had a dad in her life. And so she always had this like, okay, okay if my dad can't stick around and love me, then who can? Like your mom and dad are supposed to be the ones that like show you unlimited love, but without the dad, like it's, you know, it created some issues for her. And so I think that she kind of figured that, okay, well, my dad can't love me or he doesn't love me or whatever it is. If he doesn't, then, you know, look at other people that are married, like they're happy, their husband takes care of them, their husbands dote on them. So if I get married, then I'll be happy. And my husband will give me unlimited love. And he can bolster me up, you know, was it was filling the void. So when we got married, she kind of put all that on me in a way It kind of expected me to Make her happy and to do X, Y, and Z, you know, to fill that hole in her heart, to reassure her that she is loved. And after two years of marriage, it was like, well, these things you're doing aren't making me happy, so you need to do these things. And finally, I was just like, you know, I don't think that me doing these things is like going to make you happy. Like, Nothing I can do will fill the void in your heart. There's only one person that can do that, and that's Jesus Christ. And you need to turn to him and allow him to heal you rather than just trying to get these outward interactions to fill that void. And I don't think that that really, really connected with her because I think then what it turned to was okay, well, my husband doesn't love me. And so if I have a baby, if you look at babies, babies love their moms. You know, they get so much time and attention. And she figured that, well, if we, you know, we're not happy with each other, but if we get pregnant, we have a kid, then I'll be happy because I'll know that somebody loves me. And that's just a recipe for chaos.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Because then the baby becomes my role in that their mom's happiness is totally dependent on what they do. And for a kid, I feel like that's probably pretty emotionally damaging and debilitating growing up, knowing that your mom's happiness is dependent on your decisions and you doting on her and you making her feel important.
0: Yeah, that is a recipe for total dysfunction for that child. And it's important to remember, you know, when we get into relationships, that you come into the relationship as a whole person, you know, as a confident, whole person. And if you can't come into a relationship where you feel confident and you love yourself and you know who you are, then seek help before you get into a committed relationship to make that happen. So your relationship can be healthier.
2: And I think that's super important. If you're not happy on your own, then. Being with somebody else isn't going to make you happy. I think that a lot of people fall into that trap. Uh, Well, and I mean, this is different from being lonely. I felt a lot of loneliness being divorced, which is another discussion. But like, if you need somebody else to make you to your core, like, okay, fine, now I can be happy then you probably have some work that you need to do on yourself before you get in a relationship because you're not going to be able to give yourself, you know? If you have a whole bunch of things missing, then you can't give that to somebody else and you're just going to be sucking the life out of them.
0: That's a really good point to just kind of fix and heal yourself before you get into a committed relationship so you have the best case scenario when you get into a committed relationship for that relationship to thrive and succeed.
2: Right. Yeah. And I think that comes back to the transparency is trusting that okay, this person is ready for that, you know, they're ready to be in relationship, they've worked on themselves, and I have too. I'm now ready to go into that.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. So what advice would you give to loved ones who are trying to help someone they care about who's going through a divorce, whether it's a friend or a parent? What would you say to them? What was the best help you received when you were going through this? What helped you heal the most?
2: For me, I got I think there was two sources that really helped me. One of those was my parents. Like they never told me what to do. They never told me what they think I should do. They really left it up to me, you know. They observed that I was not in a good position, that I wasn't happy, that You know, things had kind of gone downhill, but they never suggested I do anything like divorce. But once I had decided to get divorced, it was really comforting to know that they are like, okay, like, we're here for you. We'll help you, you know, whatever you need, like, we'll help you out with this. And I can't imagine how hard it would have been had I had parents that were kind of like doubting me, doubting my decision. Because at first, like, it felt like my mom had, like she was kind of doubting me, you know, like doubting or she was kind of skeptical almost, it seemed. And so it made me really hesitant to go forward with it because I felt like my mom wasn't on board, you know. And really what it came down to is she wasn't hesitant. She wasn't you know, concerned about that, like me making that decision. It was more so she wanted me to make that decision for myself so that I didn't have any regrets and look back on it and feel like somebody pushed me into it.
0: Yeah. She wanted you to just take ownership over the decision.
2: Right. So when she was questioning me and it felt like she was like, you know, against me doing it, it was really just her confirming to herself, like, okay, I can be at peace with this. He has in fact made a decision and I've asked him about it. He has confirmed. So I felt like my parents were a big support there. My other big support when I was contemplating divorce was my one of my best friends, Danny. He had gone through a divorce a year prior, similar situation, you know. And just knowing that I had a friend and I don't think that it necessarily needed to be a friend. Just somebody that I knew that had been through it was very comforting to me to be like, OK, I'm not the only person that has gone through this, that's going to go through this. I've got somebody that's sailed these waters and they've come out the other side. Because when you're in it and you're going through it, you you know, you're you've got all these issues going on. It's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's just so, I don't know, it's its very depressing, honestly. And so to be able to talk to my friend and hear his experience and be able to bounce ideas off of him and kind of check myself, that was an extremely huge help that I think it would have been 10 times as hard for me to go through that if I hadn't had him there.
0: I mean, that makes sense, right? For someone to understand that kind of situation, they'd have to have gone through it. And you're both such young kids, right? you know, going through something really devastating. I mean, of course, they say is just as traumatic second to death to someone dying.
2: Right. And it's weird because I wasn't expecting that going into it. Like I'd had issues for two years and things weren't great. But actually, like, going through with divorce and separating, it's the most lonely feeling that I've ever experienced, you know? Yeah,
0: even when you're making the right decision.
2: Exactly, and that's that's the thing. I was the one that was leaving, even. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's
0: Well, you're mourning a relationship, even though, I mean, that's why a lot of people stay in bad relationships, because they just don't want to be alone. Even if they're with someone they don't love, at least they're not alone, Yeah, you know, and that can be a really dysfunctional mindset because you can stay in a bad relationship you shouldn't be in.
2: Yeah, that's so true.
0: Yeah. I just want to share a little quote, Dr. Jonathan Swinton. He's an LDS licensed marriage and family counselor in Salt Lake, but he gives these insights on how to help those who are going through divorce. And he just says, love them. Even if the situation is uncomfortable or you don't know how to react, just love them. If you worry that being supportive somehow condones something you don't approve of, remember that showing love does not mean you are condoning something. Don't let discomfort prevent you from providing support that may be needed. Also provide long-term support. Divorce can be very stressful for years. And I think, you know, with people who have kids, you know, the other man that I interviewed as the first part of this podcast, he talks about, You know, being a midlife member of the church with all these kids, he was a respected ecclesiastical leader, and then he got divorced after he was released, and it wasn't his fault, and he had a similar situation to what you dealt with, and he just had to get out for his own mental health. And, you know, a lot of times I think men in the church are assumed as the bad guy, and that's not always the case.
2: Well, that's kind of something that I experienced There's a couple people that I knew that had expressed their frustration with me, you know, kind of feeling like I was a dirtbag. Like, how dare I leave this poor girl, this beautiful girl? Like, how dare I do that to her? And, you know, they don't know the whole story. They don't know all the behind the scenes. Yeah, maybe on the surface it appears that way. But once they kind of heard what was going on, that's when it was like oh okay like now okay that makes sense like good for you for getting out you know
0: yeah they had context i mean i think it's easy for people to say how could you walk away from a temple marriage you know culture there's a lot of that right you were why didn't you have enough faith why didn't you stay in it you're in a partnership with you and christ and a temple marriage you know he anything can happen but you know I think what you were saying before is really powerful about that he loves you and he wants you to be happy. You were in a relationship where unless that person could fix themselves, you would never be happy and they would never be happy. So, I mean, in that situation, it was the right thing to do for you. So is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up?
2: I think one thing kind of what you just touched on is just not judging people. You know, we're judgmental humans, like whatever, but do our best to not judge people. But then also from the inside looking out, those who are going through these kind of situations, there is kind of this worry of how people will perceive you. And I think it's important to just combat that worry. You can't worry about what other people think because they're not you, you know? you are in that situation you're having the struggles you need to decide what's best for you and go forward with it not caring about what people might say because that could be kind of debilitating just kind of you know analysis paralysis like okay well these people are going to judge me these people might say this this person knows this so they're going to think this and that's not helpful
0: right no judgment you know, it goes back to the scriptures. You know, if you have no sin, cast the first stone.
2: Right. Exactly. <laughs> we
0: all have things that we're dealing with, and everyone's got their own issues behind the scenes, and we can't judge. Right. And that's a really good point to end on. Thank you so much, Beau, for being transparent and vulnerable and sharing your story with us. You're going to help a lot of people with this. Cool. And I want to thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. We encourage you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Simply click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Just follow the link in our bio on Instagram for a tutorial on how to leave an iTunes review and comment. We read all your comments and it really helps us to grow. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Podcast What Now. We never say goodbye, we say what now. Find out by tuning into our next podcast. This has been a What Now podcast production.